It's time to dream again about what the church could be. This vision is intended to come from Christ himself. So what does he want from the church and how do we reclaim it? Join us as we journey through the New Testament to discover how the ancient paths inform the future church. Today, we will be looking at 1 Corinthians 12-13 as we study the subject of the body of Christ being built on love. We're so glad you are here with us this morning. I actually made a change in the uh, sermon today, so we actually will not be in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, in case you're wondering, but uh, that was a spirit-led thing that I, I made a move on, but we're continuing our future church series, so we'll get to where we're going to be in just a few moments. I'm Joe. For those of you who have not met or don't know who I am, I want to welcome each and every one of you, first-time guests. We're glad you're here. We'd love to connect with you and get to know you, and one of the easiest ways to do that is to fill out a connection card. But again, thanks for being here with us this morning. As we begin our time together, I want to ask you a simple question, and it's this. Who are the people who have impacted you the most? Who are the people who have impacted you the most? Maybe you would say a teacher. Maybe you'd say a parent. Maybe it's a coach. Somebody in those realms, right? Sometimes those types of people have have impacted us in ways that as we look back, we're just forever changed and grateful for. As I think about that in my own life, I think about my high school teacher. Her name is Annette Tucker. Uh, Annette Tucker actually is someone who I continue to stay in touch with to this day. She was the one who oversaw special ed program at Campbell High School, where I went to high school in Smyrna, Georgia. And she was key to help me as I was understanding my learning difference and helping me with all the shenanigans that I would be caught up in with uh, some of my behavioral challenges and walking with me and helping me get through high school, supporting me through that process, and then helping me to take the step to go to college, even though I didn't have the the most impeccable uh, GPA or involvement, as you would think about somebody who's trying to go that college track. But she was somebody who's been such an encourager to me and who invested in me, who had an impact in my life. In fact, recently we were talking with her about our son Ray, who has some developmental delays, and just asking her for her insight. And she just jumps on FaceTime with us or will text back and forth with us as well. So I'm grateful for people like that who have made a significant impact in my life. There's also somebody named Mike Lynch. And Mike Lynch is the pastor of a church called North Star in Kennesaw, Georgia. And when I was a college student, I interned at this church. And Mike is somebody that really showed me what it means to care deeply for the people around you, both in the church, but also outside the church walls, in the community, to care deeply about those around you and to say, how can we make an impact in their lives? Now, as you think about these two individuals, until I've said their names to you, you didn't know who they were. You didn't be like, you know, they had this huge following that I'm a part of or, or somebody that I look at and I say, wow, like I, I know so much about them, right? They're not, in, in our terms, culturally speaking, famous, right? They're not famous, but yet they've made a huge impact on me because I know them and they know me. So here's a question for you. The question for you is, do you believe your life can make an impact? Do you believe that your life can make an impact. I want you to think about that with me for a moment. Do you believe who you are can impact others? Because here's the deal. With Mrs. Tucker and Mike Lynch, 
they impacted me in such a way that it changed me, but also made me want to impact others. And that's how it's meant to go, right? We're meant to impact others. We're meant to take what it is that's been put into us and we've been entrusted with and, and who we are to impact the life of those around us, the people that God puts into our paths. And here's a statement that I want to give us this morning, that impact is greater than influence. Because we live in a culture right now that is all about being an influencer. Have you heard that? And we, we man, we, we can just start our social media accounts and be like, you know, I'm going to influence people in that way. And, and there's nothing wrong per se, with that, to influence people that way. But here's the, the, the challenge with it. Oftentimes, the persona doesn't allow us to actually know the person or for them to know us. And so we can start to look at their lives or look at what they're saying and hearing what they're saying and thinking that's the same thing as being impacted. And that's not to say they can't impact us, but what I'm talking about is actually somebody that knows us and we know them and we're journeying on life together and we're seeing an impact made because there's a lot of platform building in our culture and again there's nothing wrong with having an impact or an influence on somebody but the 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 danger though is that we can confuse those two and then we can start chasing influence it could be our great pursuit and then we can believe that you know what until i'm an influencer until that happens i'm not actually measuring up i'm not making my life count versus saying no wait a minute I can have an impact right where I'm at with the people right in front of me, even if it doesn't make social media, even if it doesn't go viral, even if somebody doesn't come and interview me, even if someone doesn't come to write an article about me. It it doesn't matter because the reality, our lives can impact and are meant to impact other people. Again, until today, many of you had no clue who Annette Tucker was or who Mike Lynch was. But you know them in part because they've impacted me. And as a result, I'm seeking to make an impact in you. And, and then that continues on, right? Uh, you see how this plays out. And this is so key as we think about the future church, because as we look at the future church and as we understand the ancient paths of the New Testament, one of the things that you find are that there are these unlikely people who impact the lives of others. And what we see happen is it goes out of of Jerusalem. In in other words, the message of Jesus is starting to move out of Jerusalem. And people, people are hearing this message. They're hearing who this Jesus is and what he's done. But as that's happening, there are people who are coming against the Jesus way. And specifically, there's a man named Paul or Saul. He's referred to as both in the New Testament, the book of Acts. And he comes against the early church in such a way that as you look at him, and who he was back then, and you think about current day reality of what's happening in our culture, it would be the equivalent of an Al-Qaeda member or an ISIS member coming against, coming against the followers of Jesus, but they, he thought he was doing it in the name of God. But then all of a sudden what we find in Acts chapter 9 is that as he's on the road to Damascus, this great bright light comes, and it's Jesus appearing to him. And Jesus asked this question, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he's referring to the the body of Christ, the hands and feet of Jesus. And what we learn about Saul, that moment when he was blinded, his life would forever change and he would become a follower of Jesus. And what we learn in Galatians 1 is that for three years, he was in 
the desert and he was being formed. And as he was being formed, God would bring him back to Jerusalem. And as he would come to Jerusalem, so many people in the early church were afraid of him. They were afraid of him because they're like, this is the guy that took the people I love away from me, put them in prison, signed off on their lives being taken from them. You know, this is that guy. And it was really hard for them to believe that he had been changed. But there was this man named Barnabas that vouched for him and said, hey, I know for sure that his life has been changed and transformed by Jesus. And this is so key to understand because as we're going to see how Paul was impacted by Barnabas and that they together then are going to impact others, it's going to inform us about how we can go about impacting the people around us. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to open up with me to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. And we're going to start in verse 1 through 3 here. And it says this in Acts 1, or excuse me, Acts 13 verses 1 through 3. It says, now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manon, who had been, up, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Now, this is really important that we don't miss this. Dr. Tony Evans points out that as you look at these group of people in the church of Antioch, you start to see a diverse group of people. Simeon, in fact, his name, he's called Niger, which means someone who is dark-skinned, someone who is, is of color, who is black. And then he talks about how this, this young man named Lucius of Cyrene came from a city in North Africa. And so right off the bat, you start to see diversity displayed here in the early church. You start to see these different individuals who are here. And what I want you to see is that the church in Antioch really is a, a church that is marked with people who would go on to impact other people. You know, a lot of times when I read about the church in Antioch, it reminds me a lot of times of what God's done here, that he's raised up people here. And as he's raised up people here, he sent them out. And I want you to think about that in your own life, that as we come together as a community, as we pray, and as we seek God, and as we fast, and the word fast speaks to the idea of abstaining from something, to hear from God, to receive the comfort that God gives. It could be food, it could be to, to fast social media, to fast television, you know, or streaming, or binge watching, whatever it is, right? It could be that for a purpose to hear God's voice in a clear direction. But I want you to notice how it says that Paul or Saul and Barnabas were sent out. They were sent out. And I want you to be thinking about that in your own life as we come together, that each and every one of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, if we're a follower of Jesus, we are a sent people. He sends us out, but he doesn't send us alone. He sends us in the power of the Spirit and with a community of people. As you watch what plays out here, you start to see a community coming around one another who share in the work and the life of Jesus and then go on to impact others. And as you make your way through Acts, you start to see it spread beyond Jerusalem and it continues on to do that. As we get through the book of Acts, you start to see it get past 
Jerusalem and to the other parts of the world, as Jesus had commissioned the early church to do. And this is so key because as we look at our own lives, I want us to understand that we are sent out by God. We are a people who are sent by him. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are sent by God. You are sent by God. It doesn't matter what you do. You could be a plumber like my friend Jack. You could be a coach like my friend Phil or my friend Matt. You know, it doesn't matter what you do. The reality is we're all sent. We're all called out. So as we continue on here, here's a question I want you to think about. Do you see yourself as sent by the Holy Spirit to make an impact? Again, an impact is something that each and every one of us can do by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not about fame and acclaim. It's about impacting the people right in front of us to pour our lives into them, to walk alongside them, to be this type of people who would join Jesus in impacting the lives of those that he puts into our path. You know, as I think about that, it reminds me of something that happened this week. I I was reached out to by my friend Todd, and, and Todd said, hey, Joe, I actually want you to meet with me and two Hispanic pastors, uh, Pastor Salvador and Pastor Wilson. And I want you to meet with us because Pastor Salvador, who has had great impact in the Dominican Republic, has felt called to come here to plant a church in downtown Allentown. Now, this guy is very well known in the DR. This guy has has impacted a lot of people uh, very much. As you look at who he is, we have so much to learn from him. But he doesn't speak a lick of English, really. And yet, God has called him here. God has called him to reach the Hispanic community in downtown Allentown. And the other pastors, Pastor Wilson, who's from Central America, and, and he is praying and discerning what God is doing and has for him in the Easton, the Easton area. And he wanted to meet with us to see how we could work together. And, and one of the things I took away from our conversation was that each and every one of us has been sent by God. But not only each and every one of us has been sent by God, but how we need one another. Like, I need what Pastor Salvador and Pastor Wilson bring from their background and their story. And we need each other in that way as well to see a community come together in the name of Jesus to really make an impact and make a difference in the lives of those around us. This is how communities are changed. And I want you to be thinking about that in your own life. Who are you sent to? What does God have for you? What does God have for you? And here's some people that I know he sent you to, your classmates, your coworkers, your neighbors, your family. These are people he has sent you to. He has sent you to them. And I want you to see yourself as someone who's going to, again, proclaim who Jesus is and demonstrate his ways. But as we think about making an impact on the lives of others, I want you to know that you have a part to play in that, that God wants to invite you to join him in this. You don't have to be the hero of the story because there's really only one hero. His name's Jesus, right? And we're just lifting him up and we're pointing others to him. Now, as we think about what we just read, this is incredible. This is amazing. This is encouraging. But one of the things that I think oftentimes happens is we do a revisionist history to the early church. In other words, we think that everything in the early church was like rainbows and sunshine and everybody got along and everybody was like always on the same page and there was never 
a disagreement. But what you're going to find, even as you go through it, community is going to serve as a way in which they are drawn to Christ, but also how they're going to resolve conflicts that emerge. When it comes to things like doctrine, which doctrines beliefs, in the direction that God has for them. And this is going to be key because if impact is going to be made, we've got to have clarity around those things. And so as you see Paul and Barnabas go out, you see people become followers of Jesus, and you see that happen throughout Acts 13 and 14. But then we get to Acts 15, and I want to really help us to see even how this idea of impact plays out. It says this, certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, and we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So what's happening here? Well, what's happening is the impact is, hap- is taking place. People are being impacted for Jesus and his kingdom. But there's this sharp dispute and disagreement. And it came around this idea of circumcision. Because as they left Jerusalem and started to go to those who were not Jewish, did not have that as part of their culture, people were coming up and saying, hey, in order to be a follower of Jesus, you have to be circumcised. And you can imagine for older Gentile men, they were like, wait a minute, like you, wait, whoa, like I'm willing to give Jesus everything, but wait a second, like we're, you're asking a lot here, right? This is like going like to another level here, you know? And, and so you can imagine that this would be a difficult thing, but you notice what they do. They have a conversation. There's this sharp disagreement. So they don't, they don't put it under the rug. They don't pretend it's not there. They have a crucial conversation so they can gain clarity. But then they say, hey, we're going to go to the epicenter of where the church has its origins. We know it's built on Jesus, but they go to the church in Jerusalem. And as they go to the church in Jerusalem, they're going there to get an answer to what it is they're supposed to do. And so as we continue on here, here's something that I want us to think about. What barriers do people put between themselves and Jesus? This is going to be important because What's going to happen as you are going to impact others, there are barriers that have been created for, for people because of their own history, their own story. Sometimes even what the church has said, you know, again, we see it take place here. They're like, hey, you know what? Jesus is amazing. He's incredible, but you got to be circumcised as well. Well-meaning people, well-meaning people, but there are these barriers that often get in the way of who Jesus is and what he has for ourselves and for others And we've got to get clarity around this. And and what does that have to do with impact? Well, it has everything to do with it. Because if you don't understand with crystal clarity who this Jesus is and what he has for us, we can inevitably project ourselves or project what we've heard or what we've seen onto Jesus and make Jesus something that he's not. And we've got to be really wise and careful with that. Because what the culture is desperate for right now is the hope that is found in Jesus. You know, have you noticed that there's such a high anxiety? I was just talking to somebody yesterday who, who works with people at St. Luke's, and she says that the a level of anxiety that's happening amongst teenagers is skyrocketing, the patients and clients that she sees. People are desperate for hope right now. They are desperate for a peace that only Jesus 
can truly give and a community of people that are going to come around them even when they don't see eye to eye, even when they don't have the same perspective on an issue. But for us as followers of Jesus, we're going to lift up Jesus even greater than our own perspective or our opinion. Because at the end of the day, his opinion is what matters most. His opinion is what we want to hear and what he has for us. We want to continue to follow after him. Well, it continues on here. Listen to what happens. It says, when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. All right, so we're, we're hearing what God's doing. They're giving a report. We're seeing the community. But there are people saying, hey, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. It continues on. It says, the apostles and elders met to consider this question after much discussion. Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from the lips, from my lips, the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. And I want you to hear this. He's saying, hey, listen, God showed up and showed us that he is after not just the external, but the internal. He is after the heart, right? God's after the heart. God's after the inner part of who we are. He says again, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has fallen and and filled afresh, not just the Jewish people, not just those who, who were Jewish from birth and grew up in this culture and understanding. But he also showed up, he also showed up amongst the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. And he's saying, hey, listen, this is what God is doing. This is how God's working. And it goes on to say this. He did not discriminate. Let's read that out loud together. He did not discriminate. Let's read it out loud again. He did not discriminate. <laughs> he did not discriminate between us and them. For he purified their hearts by what? What's the word here? By what? By what? He purified their hearts by faith. It was by faith. It was by trust in who Jesus is. Because we do need to be purified. Because we are broken. And we have a desperate need to be brought back into the image that is upon us. The Imago Dei that is in each and every one of us. That we are the image bearers of God. But because of our sin and brokenness, we needed a rescue. And he says, Jesus came and he rescued. He provided a way. But he doesn't discriminate between us and them for he purified their hearts by faith. And you know what? He can purify our hearts by faith. He can purify us. He can make us, as it says, as white as snow. He can give us the righteousness that that is not our own, but it is the righteousness of Christ. We could be hidden in Jesus, so that when our Heavenly Father looks upon us, He doesn't see the parts of us that are the broken side of our sin and what we have done that are out of bounds with what God has done. But through faith in Jesus, He sees us being made new. And we're in process, right? Praise God, I can say that, right? We're in process, right? We're not a complete work, but we're in process. And we know the already and the not yet. We know already 
what he says of us in the not yet of what's to come when we will be made right and we will be made perfect and complete and all things will be made new. And we get to join him in that. But he says, hey, I want you to know he's the one that purifies hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. So he's saying, hey, listen, there's this burden, the law, that, that we could not keep. We could not keep the perfect standard of the law because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill it. Right? Jesus is the fulfillment of that which we could not keep. And he's saying, listen, I want you to know, I want you to know we weren't able to do it, so why are we trying to put this on others as well? Why are we trying to put this burden? Why are we trying to put this cultural normative that we've experienced? This is our preference. This is what we're comfortable with. This is what we know. That's okay. That's okay that we, we, we have a preference in this way, and we are familiar with this, and it honors our ancestors in that way. But he says, why are you trying to put something on them that Jesus has fulfilled? He, he bore this for us because we were unable to do it. And he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. It is by grace. It is by grace. Let's say that out loud together. It is by grace. Say it with me confidently. It is by grace. So grace saves us. It gives security of being known by God, being fully loved and accepted and forgiven. It is the grace that strengthens us to become what he's intended us to be, to join him on his mission, to impact the lives of those around us. It is his grace that sustains and strengthens us when we go through difficulties, when we go through the fiery trials of life. It is his grace, and it will always be his grace. His grace is that diamond that when you look at it, and you put it in certain light, there's a different facet that you did not see. It is this unmerited favor. It is what not only we don't deserve, but it's the gift that we could never earn or receive, but is given freely to us through Jesus Christ. It's beautiful. It's the grace. So he talks about faith, and he talks about grace, and we hear people sharing in this, this community coming together. Hey, let's stay on mission. Let's stay on the mission that Jesus has for us and the way in which he wants to impact our lives and to see other lives impacted. We don't want to hinder what he's doing. But it goes on to say this. It says, the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Listen to me. And so he's just telling them. He's saying, hey, look, Paul and Barnabas are sharing what God's doing, how he's at work, all the ways in which he's moved, God's moving amongst the Gentiles. And so we see all these different people sharing. You see Peter, Paul, and Barnabas. And then it goes on to say this. It says, Simon has described to us. So James is speaking now, the half-brother of Jesus. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The word of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. And now he's going to quote Amos chapter 9. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things. 
these things known from long ago. He's saying, hey, God's plan has always been that any and every person could come to know God. Yes, the nation of Israel was meant to be a light, but it was meant to be a light to the one true God. They were meant to point people in this direction. They were to be a runway to point people to who Jesus is. And this is good news because when he talks about Gentiles, he's talking about us. He's talking about us. He's talking about us. We have been impacted by this decision and by this conversation, by the way. And it goes on to say this. It says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult. That we should not make it difficult. I want us to repeat that out loud together. That we should not make it difficult. Say it with me again. That we should not make it difficult. We don't want to make it more difficult than it's supposed to be. Because already coming after Jesus and being honest about our need for a Savior, that is difficult. Because that means we have to die to our pride. That means we have to give our shame. That means we have to lay our fear down and allow faith to proclaim our need for a Savior and that there's only one who saves. He says, let's not make it more difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of a strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times as is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And so as you hear what he says, first of all, we're going to find out as we read through Acts 15 that they rejoice when they get this news. But as you read this, you may be like, what in the world? <laughs> what did he just say? Like, well, he's saying, hey, listen, it's by faith through Christ in grace. But in order to stay in step with what God has for us, we're not saved by our behavior change and modification. We are saved by faith through grace. But he's saying, hey, listen, there's a way of life that we are called to. And in order to honor our Jewish brothers and sisters, there's things we're going to ask you to abstain from that would hinder them, that that would cause them to unnecessarily stumble. And so he talks about two of those things. One would be to abstain from food polluted by idols, and the other would be from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. And what is he saying? He's saying, hey, listen, we know what the Old Testament law calls us to, and we know that in order to keep this unity, we want to stay away from any form of idolatry, but we also don't want to unnecessarily cause our Jewish brothers and sisters to stumble. And so the Gentiles were more than happy to accommodate this because they understood what was at stake. This is about alignment, and this is about staying unified to what God had for them. And then he talks about sexual morality because for this culture, just like our own culture, sexual immorality is a normative. It's a normative. It was a way of life for them. And he's saying, hey, in Jesus, we do not treat people as objects. We do not allow ourselves just to follow our passions and our desires or any inkling that we have. We see singleness even as a gift. We see it as a gift. We see that if you take the stance of saying, hey, I'm abstaining for the name and the sake of Jesus, that is something to be commended and to be honored and celebrated. And he's saying sexual immorality, I'm asking you to abstain from that because we knew even after they become followers of Jesus, you see in Corinthians, they would continue to struggle with this. But he's saying, hey, there's a way of life. God has, God has made marriage, sex, sex intended for the covenant of marriage. And he's saying, hey, listen, I want you to understand this is the way of life. This is between 
a man and a woman in the context of marriage. And this is the way of life that we're called to in Christ. Again, all this, all this was to keep them in step with what Jesus was doing so that the impact would not be squelched, but that the gospel impact would continue to have a multiplication movement. Now, as we think about what we've read, there's a lot of things that happens. They, they celebrate, they're excited as we read on in Acts chapter 15. But here's a question I want you to think about. How difficult do we make it to follow Jesus? What are the things you add on to what Jesus has done? What, what are those things? What are those things, in, what are the lists that you have, right? And again, faith and grace, this is what is required. This is what's asked of us. And then we understand it's that grace that's going to lead to change and transformation. And oftentimes what we want to do is we want to change the exterior or the outward working of our lives first. Even, even though we understand that in order for real change to happen, it has to start from the inside out. That's what was going on here a little bit. They were, they were tempted to, to be about the externals and not about the internal. And thankfully, Peter and James were reminding them, hey, this is how it works. So how difficult do we make it to follow Jesus? Here's another question and thought for us. Jesus bridged the barrier between us and God. So Jesus is the one who bridges the barrier between us and God. And, and as we think about that, this is so key because as we try to be that person who's going to impact others, we've got to know that we are not the bridge, but Jesus is the bridge. We've got to know that he has a standard and he has a way, and we want to come after what it is that he has for us. But it's so tempting, again, to make it Jesus plus something. It's so tempting to, to add something to what he has done. But here's the truth. When we trust in Jesus and when we come after him, again, he's going to change us from the inside out as we continue to surrender and follow after what he has for us. Jesus bridged the barrier between us and God. And this is so key because this is what allows the impact of this multiplication movement to continue on because they kept Jesus front and center and may we keep Jesus front and center. It's about him. It's about who he is. It's about his, his ways. It's about us growing in our character in the likeness of Christ as we stay with him. And then growing in our competencies into the way of Jesus. And what do I mean by that? Simply mean that we would know how to live in light of who he is and what he's done for us. And by the power of the spirit of God at work in us. Jesus bridged the barrier between us and God. And then we continue on here. Faith in Jesus will lead to the fruit of Jesus. True faith isn't just intellectualism. It's not just emotionalism. It's saying, hey, I'm putting the full weight of my life on you. I'm trusting you. I'm surrendering to you. I'm going to do whatever it is you ask of me. I'm going to follow in your ways. That's what faith is. And so if we're going to change the fruit of our own lives, it's going to come through faith because in order for the fruit of our lives to be changed, we've got to get to the root. Right? Like if you want a different type of fruit to grow, you can't continue to tend the old fruit, right? You've got to get to the root. You've got to change the, what's been planted and put in what you want. And in the same way here, faith in Jesus will lead to the fruit of Jesus. By our faith and trust in him, he gets down into the root, and that will change the fruit of our lives. This is good news. This is not about white-knuckling our way to 
following after Jesus and seeing him impact us and then impacting others. It's faith by grace in Christ. And as we continue on here, here's a question. Who will you impact this school year? Who will you impact this school year? And I know this school year is so intense in a variety of ways. I'm about to send my son tomorrow to kindergarten, which is kind of crazy. And as we think about this, I want you to think about who will you impact as far as a classmate is concerned? Who's God going to put into your path? And I want you to think about this even if you're not going back to school. Maybe you're a parent, but maybe it's your coworkers. I want you to just start thinking about it. Who has God put in your path to impact? And so here's what I want to do. If you are a student, whether that is a college student, a high school student, a middle school student, elementary age, I want you to just stand up for me if you don't mind. Stand up, stand up for me, stand up for me. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come. College student, don't, don't be shy, don't be shy. Uh, my friend Anna's here. Go ahead, stand up, Anna. Go ahead, don't, don't be shy. And I want you to be thinking about this with me for a moment, all right? Because we want you to know we're standing with you. Stay standing. If you're a parent of a student, will you stand up for me? If you're a parent of a student, will you stand up for me? Okay, all right? If you are a, a teacher or a coach... In any, any way, will you go ahead and stand as well? Okay, cool. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to invite everybody to stand now. Here's what we're going to do. I want you to know we are praying for you. And I was thinking about how can we pray for you. And so I thought last week when we did this prayer response time, it was, it was helpful to give language. So I took a crack out of, out of this idea of what we've read and, and what we talked about and even this school year to craft this prayer. And so what I want to do is I want to invite you to read the yellow section out loud. So I'm going to read, I'll lead us, and we're just going to read this out loud if you're comfortable doing so. You can read with us, all right? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that we are anxious and feel unsettled as so much uncertainty surrounds this school year. Thank you, Jesus, that your presence is greater than the pain and pressure of life. Prince of Peace, be our peace. We thank you for the teachers, staff, faculty, parents, and coaches, as well as the students. We ask that you would watch over us and protect our health and from those who would want to cause harm. Thank you for the grace and kindness given to us freely in Jesus. Fill us, Holy Spirit, so your grace and kindness will spill out of us this school year. Thank you for those who have impacted our lives. This school year, help us to see the ordinary moments of life as an opportunity to make an extraordinary impact in the lives of others. As you sent Paul and Barnabas, so you are sending us. We will go where you lead us and to those you put on our paths. Remove the barriers we have in our lives and other ha- others have in their lives to receive by your grace the gospel of Jesus. In a cruel world, make us a counterculture people who point people to you, Jesus. We will fail, but thank you that you remain faithful. When we fail, help us to be honest in order to experience your restorative hope and healing. Thank you, Jesus. We are fully loved and accepted by you. We can join you on your mission because your grace enables us to. We have nothing to prove and no one to impress. We love you and thank you for your goodness towards us, Jesus. We are eager for the ways you will show up this school year. In the matchless name of Jesus, amen.